Hey, this is Kevin Detner, CEO and founder of Hurdle Health. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsas. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world, and I want to welcome you to today's session. This episode, I have a wonderful guest with me. His name is Kevin Dedner. He serves as a founder and CEO of Washington, D.C.-based Hurdle, which provides culturally intentional teletherapy to eliminate barriers that make it harder for people of colour to get mental health care. He's deeply connected to Hurdle's mission, having suffered a period of depression where he has found the biggest challenge to effective care was finding the right therapist who could truly understand and connect with his struggles as an African-American man. He's recently penned his first book, The Joy of the Disinherited, Essays on Oppression, Trauma and Black Mental Health. He's an award-winning public speaker, and Kevin has over 20 years of public health experience. Kevin, a massive welcome to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you. So we've actually just, well, I've just given the listeners a little bit of an introduction about your background. Tell me, is there anything else you'd like to share about your background? Yeah, I, I think the way I would answer that is, no one is more surprised than I am that you and I are here having this conversation today and that I'm doing the things that I'm doing in life now. I think, you know, that's kind of if, if all of us take a second to reflect, that's that's a story that probably all of us that resonates with everyone. Right. Yeah. And reflecting is uh, is a huge tool, a huge thing for us to do. And I'm not sure that a lot of people do take time out to reflect. And I actually say to people that I work with as well around the world, take time out to reflect and think about what's just happened and what you've done. And because a lot of people seem to think about the things that haven't gone well for them. But what about has, what things that did go well for you? And what are you, gratitude, you know, you know, the gratitude you have for certain things? I find that interesting. Kevin, whereabouts in the world are you today? I am sitting in my parlor in Washington, D.C., Awesome. And I'm in New Zealand. So it's just amazing how we can talk about leadership and mental health and so forth from around the different sides of the world, which is fantastic. Yes. So Kevin, how did you get into leadership? You know, I, I would answer that question by saying I've always been some kind of leader. And, and I think, you know, in my adolescence years, I went through this rough period there that I was actually considering 
not being a good kid. And I had one of those experiences that I think so many of us have that we, we promise God, if, if, if I can just live through this moment, I'll walk the straight and narrow. Right. Yep. <laughs> and so I had one of those experiences when I was around 14 years of age and I made a conscious decision that what leadership skills I had or sort of the person I wanted to be was going to be a good person. And I think that that was a, a conscious decision for me, but because before that, it was very clear that I could use those skills in a bad way, but I made a conscious decision to use those skills in a good way when I was about 14. Yeah. And it's it's interesting how it was conscious that you made that decision. I think a lot of people in life are on autopilot. They they just do things day in, day out, whatever comes up. But if, if we are a little bit more conscious in our decision-making, then I think will probably help us. So it's really interesting. That whole period for you of you could go off, not be good versus good, that whole transition, you making that conscious decision, how hard was that for you? What was the experience like? <laughs> well, you know, Dennis, uh, the experience I had is I, I sort of almost lost my life as a teenager, sort of in the middle of a, it was, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas in the mid nineties, there was a, a raging gang war. And while I wasn't in a gang, I was sort of caught in the war, if that makes sense. And, and so for me, you know, the, the decision was pretty easy. I was laying on the ground with bullets flying over my head. And, and I promised God, if I just, if I could just get through that moment, <laughs> that, that I would be a completely different person. So in, in that moment, the decision was not hard because I was making a decision about the type of life that I wanted to live. But I'd imagine, Dennis, that if I had not had that moment of reckoning, that decision would have been harder for me. So I think that that's an important point that I had this moment of reckoning that I was literally forced to decide what type of life I wanted to live and who did I really want to be? You know, whether or not when, you know, my eulogy was written, would, would I bring honor to my family or would it be a eulogy of shame? Mm. No, amazing. That is, that is just really amazing because when we step back and reflect on, going back to what you said originally about reflecting and that, it's just amazing to see what I call those turning points in our lives, those areas of, as you said, reckoning and, and just make, having to make a decision right there and then. Really amazing. Kevin, now this person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? So I, I think you, you mentioned earlier in your, in your introduction of me that I just penned my first book. And it's only after writing my first book and I spent a lot of time writing about my maternal grandmother and her name is, is Ella May. Now I should tell you in the American South, in many families, it's disrespectful to call your elders by their first name. But in my family, even today, we still call my maternal grandmother Ella May. And by the way, she's 104 years old. But it was only in writing my book and I was recalling these lessons and uh, in life that she taught me. She taught me and my family, my extended cousins, that I realized that not only is she sort of the matriarch of my family, but she's also the leader who I respect the most. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, wow. 104 years of age. 104. Yeah, yeah. 
She even survived COVID, by the way. Oh, she got COVID as well and survived it? <laughs> she got COVID and survived. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that is amazing. Good on her. That's fantastic. And I think that for all of us, with our elders, our grandparents and so forth, some people don't have their grandparents anymore. They, they've lost their grandparents. But if you have, even for our listeners, take time to sit with them and learn from them. Take time to reflect with them because they have a wealth of knowledge and so much that they can learn. And Kevin, you and I are probably at an age where we've seen certain things in our lives, but they've seen a lot in their lives. And, and you know, you think about where your grandmother was right through to, to now and what she's seen in the different stages of life and things have changed. It's, it's, it's amazing. And, and what they're going to be able to tell you about things is I think we all can learn so much from them all. Yeah, absolutely. You know, mm. I, as I said, I never, before I penned my book, I never thought of her, quote, as a leader. You know, I just sort of thought of her as my grandmother. And I think that that's even a lesson in that because it's really like many of us are, are leading, are providing examples of leading, being a leader. And we're unconscious that somebody's watching us, that someone's mimicking us, that we're teaching valuable lessons just by the things that we do on a daily basis. And I think, you know, my reflection on her is so many of my values, so much of how I interact with people, so of my desire to be kind, to be genuine for people comes from the type of behavior that I saw her model in front of me. Yep. And that's something that we need to be mindful as well as we're modeling things too. And as you said, I, I love it because Leaders aren't always having to be in a corporate or a public health environment. It, it is everywhere, and we can yeah. learn so much from people. And I uh, recently uh, released episode 200. And mm, congratulations. I Thank you. And I was interviewed, and uh, I was asked that question, who's my favorite leader? And I said, my grandfather. And, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. And so I explained why, and, and a lot of it is – he was a president of this island in Greece where my dad's from. And, and it wasn't as if it was he was this large corporate kind of guy. He he was the president, the mayor of the island type scenario for 28 years. But he, he led the island. He led people. And he knew his place as well because my grandmother was the real leader. And um, so he <laughs> so he knew his place. But I think it was really great. So I'm, I'm, uh, when I ask people this, they, they say all sorts of people like Mandela and Gandhi and other people. but. You know, when I hear people who say the grandmother, the grandfather, family members, someone else close to them, it's, it's special. I think it's yeah. not, to, not to take away from the others what they've said, but I think that's really special. You know, I would like to say this because it, it goes a step further and, and, and gives some definition to why I now call her a leader. You know, she didn't have a lot of money, but she was quite resourceful. Her husband had died from dementia. So instead of him being put in a nursing home, she wanted him to come stay with her in his final years of life. And so I saw her provide that level of care for him. I mean, that's like what an example that is in itself of being a caretaker, right? So that also meant like my adolescence years growing up, like my, I didn't have a grandfather there and she didn't have any, she lost a son when he was 25, he drowned and her other son had gone away and to the Navy. So she didn't have any sort of maternal or uh, male figures. There weren't any male figures. It was my, my grandmother and my aunts, right? And, but she taught us how to use a hammer 
She taught us how to fix things and she taught us how to cut grass, how to tend to the garden. So it's like all of these things that typically people think in like in the rural South, that these are things that men would teach boys how to do. Here, I had a, a grandmother teaching me how to do those things. And and then on top of that, you know, she even taught me how to cook and she taught me how to be kind and how to be generous. And so I say to my friends sometimes that I often think that I have this perfect balance of masculine and feminine energy at the same time. And and they say, well, where does that come from? I think it comes from like the, the role model of my grandmother. But she she taught us that there was there wasn't a task reserved for men. There wasn't a task reserved for women. And she taught us how to sort of just to take what we had and to work with it. And so, yeah, she, she is like in, in my book of leaders that I respect the most. Mm -hmm. That's her. That's brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. That's really, really special. Now the show is called leadership is changing. When I mentioned that title, what does that mean to you? Yeah. You know, I think this past year, all of us who, and by the way, we've redefined in this conversation, what it means to be a leader. So we've said that there could be people who are leading companies like myself, or there could be people who head governments, their leaders. But also we're talking about people who head households, people who head families, people who had social clubs, like these are leaders too. And so the way I would answer that question now that we've sort of redefined what it means to be a leader is I think that we've had this year of in the midst of the pandemic that we were forced to sit still, to to be quiet, to reflect, to think about how we communicate with people, the most effective ways to communicate with people. You know, we, we're using technology in ways that we haven't used technology before. But at the end of the day, I think the thing that we've had to learn as leaders is what does it mean to be an effective communicator? Also, I think the, the other big thing that we've learned is the importance of being able to gather, right? And how we ought not take, when we can bring people together, we ought not take that for granted. And, and the beauty of that is, it's bringing people together and finding alignment. Right before I started recording this podcast with you, I was in a team meeting with my team and my team is scattered all over the country here in the United States. And I was like, hey, we need to get alignment on this thing. So why don't we go around and everybody tell me what you think about this and let's figure out, can we find somewhere in the middle? And I just think that that's what leadership is about right now. Like, how do we find consensus? How do we build consensus? How do we make sure that everyone's heard and feels heard? And I think that this past year has really pushed us to appreciate the meaning of that. Allowing everyone to be heard is really important. And I keep hearing that and it's getting louder and louder. Excuse the pun being heard and louder, I'm hearing that a lot. And I'm hearing this, that a lot in the sense that, especially over the last sort of 18 months where we've been with the COVID, the pandemic and that, and, and people wanting to hear that. But also outside of that, people want to be heard as from the, and we'll talk a little bit about that a little bit more. What I want to focus on here is the mental health side. And when I'm, where I'm going from, uh, coming from, Kevin, is that because we are working from home a lot more, because we don't actually have that being able to gather in person a lot more than we have been in the past. Mental health is what we're seeing a lot. In, in, in New Zealand, where I am right now in Auckland, we've been in this lockdown quite hard for seven weeks, and we might be in another four to eight weeks as well. And it's very hard on people, and people are finding it difficult mentally. We're seeing suicides going up big time, 
And I think that's going to be a lot more of the new pandemic whereby we're seeing a lot of it. What Because you, you work a lot with people around mental health and so forth. What are you seeing in particular with people around mental health? Uh, what are leaders needing to do around this? What's your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, first of all, I would just sort of back up and say, I think that one of the mistakes that we we made when the pandemic sort of hit is we we just sort of went into, okay, how do we still get our work done? As opposed to sort of taking a step back and trying to assess what this meant. And so for many of us, our lives became actually more demanding. So, you know, I may have lost my commute, but I gained two more hours of of work time. Yeah. And grabbing lunch is next to impossible because scheduled back to back in Zooms and virtual meetings. So I think we handled it it wrong in the sense that it's also the beauty of being a human and how we always sort of evolve for the moment. But, you know, I, I wrote a piece months ago when the pandemic first hit and I just sort of reminded people that this is not normal. And I think what, what, what we as humans try to do is we try to normalize things as quick as possible and try to find like new routines and new ways of doing things to help create some sense of normalcy and some sense of comfort. But I don't think that that was actually the right thing to do. And I think for many of us, we've now sort of woken up and realized that people are working too much. In addition to working too much, you also have people who are now suffering from isolation. They're suffering from loneliness. You alluded to these things, that these things are happening. And so, you know, I think that what we're seeing is in this sort of, I know across the board is a, a rise, a uptick in people having anxiety, people having depression, people feeling isolation. And I think as leaders, we need to be very well conscious of it, that people are also working themselves into exhaustion. And part of my story, Dennis, by the, by the way, how I sort of got focused on mental health is I worked myself into mental exhaustion and that led to depression. So for me, I'm a real, uh, how do you say, I'm really diligent about protecting my mental health. Nice. Like Tell us very, more. Very, very diligent. So I have norms and these are not just my norms. These are things that I, I actually make company wide. So, for example, we have what we call heads down time on Wednesdays from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., meaning no internal meetings. We want people to use that time to catch up, to be reflective. You know, think about your work as opposed to just working. Number one, it's not fair to your brain to go from one thing to the next thing to the one thing to the next thing. And in particular, Dennis, if you're doing different types of activities. So, for example, if I'm coming out of a, a budget meeting, right, and then I want to go into a marketing meeting and work on marketing strategy, that's not fair to my brain because my brain is literally two different sides of my brain. So for me, what I've learned that I have to do is I have to have buffers between my meetings. And I think that that's fair, like, you know, because what I'm giving my brain time to do is to make that transition. Like, okay, we're going to shut down that part of the brain and we're going to pick this other piece up. And I think that this is really important. And there's this isn't rocket science. This is like basic understanding of how the brain works. Right. But I think if you do these things as a leader, you can create an environment where people can be healthier mentally. Right. And they can be more productive. So, you know, when I have members of my team and I see them scheduling their self back to back to back, I don't encourage that. My grandmother used to say, 
you can't pour from an empty cup. And um, so, you know, the, the, the challenge is you sometimes have people who, who want to prove how productive and how smart they can be. But at some point, the cup does get empty. So I think leaders, we need to work really hard to create a space where we can protect mental health and make it OK for people to say, you know, I need a break. Uh, you know, me personally, you know, I um, didn't take a break this summer. And I actually have just really been regretting it, to be honest with you, Dennis. I was like, oh, geez, I should have took a break. <laughs> I should have took a break. Like, you know, the, the, every time I look at my calendar, I think to myself, I should have took a break. I really should have took a break, you know. So when are you taking a break? Well, what I was going to tell you what I'm going to do. Uh, so, you know, we, we mentioned the book. The book is going to be out uh, later this month. And so what I'm going to do is... Actually, next week, I'm not taking any meetings next week. And the reason is because I know once the book comes out, I'm going to, you know, be talking, giving talks about it. Obviously, I do things like this, which are really important to our company. And so I need some space and I'm trying to make it okay, even in my company, for even me as a leader to say, you know what? I'm kind of tired. <laughs> and, and, and I know that I got to go a, a little bit further. So I'm going to take a break before I have to run this next stretch. Yeah, and I, I love it because what I why I love it is the fact that you're saying that we need to be you're being very diligent protecting your mental health. That's that's cool. But the other thing is for leaders is to be able to create the space to protect mental health overall. And it's the words that you just you've just said. There's two words. It's okay. Absolutely. And it's the it's okay to say, hey, I need a break or, hey, I don't need to go to these meetings or I don't need to do back-to-back meetings. I need some buffers. I need some time out. And I think a lot of people are needing to understand that it is okay to say it's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's so, so important. Kevin, I talk a lot about the fact of the transition. You you just alluded to it about back-to-back meetings. And as you said, we didn't have that commute. Well, we don't have the commute now. So there's two more hours. Does that mean we have to work those two more hours? And, you know, people look up and they, they look and it's two o'clock and they haven't had lunch. Don't worry. One more meeting, one more email. <laughs> and then they look up again and it's 7 p.m. and still haven't had lunch. And so that's hard. And so we need to be, and, and I really like what you're saying, it's okay to take some time out and it's really important. However, we have to be diligent and we have to be deliberate in actually making sure that we're doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think for leaders, you model this behavior. Yeah. There are sort of like these parts of my life that I use to manage stress and I tell the team about those things and really, you know... I actually think this is another piece I would just say for folks listening, that vulnerability is a superpower, Mm. especially for leaders, you know, being vulnerable, not vulnerable in a braggadocious way, but vulnerability in the sense of true vulnerability, like like saying, I really have to do this because I need to break myself like that type of vulnerability. That's a superpower. And I think you build amazing teams when you show vulnerability because it invites other people to be vulnerable. You know, we sometimes have at our team meetings, our extended team meetings, we have a mindfulness moment at the top of every meeting. And one of the things that I I love to do in the mindfulness uh, moment is to ask people, how do you feel in this moment? And it's amazing what you learn about people in that moment because the feelings are from anxiousness to happiness to sadness 
I mean, it's just like the, the meat, the feelings are sort of all across the board. You learn something like there's one member, team member last week. She said, I'm tired. My baby didn't go to sleep till 3 a.m. last night and I haven't had much sleep. And so I think, you know, for us in the company, like having this inflection point that we see how people are feeling, like number one, we feel, we, we learn that we're not all alone. Like if you're feeling anxious and which that day, by the way, I was feeling super anxious about all the things that I needed to do, all the things that the company needed to do to close the year successfully. But I realized I was not alone. And while I was feeling anxious, there were some people who were incredibly excited and optimistic. I was like, oh, I want some of that, you know? <laughs> Give me that. <laughs> yeah, that's but the point, yeah, we were, none of us were alone in how we were feeling, you know? Mm. And you're not, you're not alone, but you know, we, sometimes we do feel like we're alone because that's even when we're together with people. But now that we're working from home, we feel like we even more so that we're alone. And there are so many people going through the exact same thing and having different feelings for sure. Kevin, we may have already touched on this a little bit. The next question I have was life is so fast. We're in a fast paced, changing, ever changing world. What makes a leader successful today in that kind of world? Well, I think the ability to be able to sit quiet, the ability to listen. I actually think just earlier today, one of my team members, she said that I was re a reflective person. And I, I think that that's probably one of the highest compliments that, mm. you know, someone that you work with could give you. Cause what that is also suggesting that they know that you will listen to them, that you will hear them out. Yep. Right. Because you can't reflect on if you don't, if you've not gotten the information, right? <laughs> like reflection requires like, you know, take all of this information in to sit with it, to analyze the best way to move forward. And, you know, I think in this busy world, like our ability to say, you know what? I am not going to move that fast. I live in Washington, D.C. and everybody here is in a hurry. Not yeah. only is everybody in a hurry, everybody's important and they're moving to the next meeting. Well, guess what? I'm that guy who drives the speed limit. I'm that guy who, when I'm taking the metro, I'm not rushing to get on the train. You know, I know if I miss this one, it'll be another one seven minutes behind it. Right. I'm that guy. <laughs> so <laughs> That's great. So, so this, this idea of now for me to do that means I do need to leave the house on time. I do need to be sort of prepared so that I can keep this pace. Right. Yep. So, you know, having that pace means that you do do some things to work ahead. But I think for leaders, the ability to not become, you know, in a hurry with the rest of the world can really set you apart. You know, my my um, mother used to always warn us that if anytime you're moving too fast, you're more prone to make mistakes. Mm. Yep. And it's and it's so true. You know, so I am I think that leadership is about slowing down, being able to, you know, take the time to really analyze, to really even enjoy the beauty along the way. That'd be nice. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a bit like um, sometimes when, when we used to travel into the city, I, I'm in a suburb whereby I would catch they call it fast ferry. So it would take, you know, an hour in traffic, if not more, and stress and just very slow. And I could go into this boat, 35 minutes, I'm into the city. And on board, there's a cafe. 
uh, in the morning and the afternoon when coming home. You can have a beer or wine if you're wanting to. It's, it's really quite nice. There's tables and chairs, so people are working away on their laptops or on their phones. But, you know, I look around and I go, look at the nature. Look at the, look at the views. It's just beautiful. So sometimes we need to just take slow down and reflect on what's going on around us rather than what's just going on in our mind or in, a, in an email or in a message. I think it's really, really interesting. And um, slowing yeah, down is, this, is really important. Yeah, I was going to say there was this this quote, I can't remember who said it, but it says something along the lines of most of man's problems stem from his inability to sit alone or quietly or something along those lines, right? Yeah. I think if you can do that, it's really good. I, I'm just going through something at the moment whereby I'm trying to create some stuff. And, and my wife just said to me, why don't you just get up really early like you normally do, go and sit somewhere quietly with your pad and pen that I have for sketching and brainstorming. And I went and did that yesterday. And it was almost like somebody was talking to me and pop, 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 all these ideas and things came to me. And it was just like, that's great because I'm taking some time out there to reflect, some time to sit by myself and listen. Now, I Kevin, think that's the secret. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Now, we've talked about leaders. Let's flip the coin and let's put it on the other side and talk about the employees. And I'm sure that you and I have been employees in the past. But we, we work with employees. We know employees in that. And if we were to think it from their lens and look through their lens as being an employee, their expectations of leaders, has that changed at all? What are they looking for? Yeah, well, first of all, I do think the expectation has changed. But I, I also want to back up and say that the teams that, and I'm going to even use this language that I am a part of, I try to position everyone as a leader in their own expertise. So, you know, while hierarchy is needed at times, like when there are those decision points that sort of like, you know, the, who was the president who had to sign the buck stops here on this desk or something along those lines? Every now and then, you know, you need to have the hierarchy in place because ultimately somebody has to be the decision maker and responsible for how things are going to turn out. But on a normal day, I don't think that that's necessary. In fact, I think that everyone has their expertise. So I have a, a chief technologist. I cannot write code. I will never be able to write code. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. Totally. I, have a, I have a chief clinical officer. I am not a clinician. I could become a clinician. But I don't have the wherewithal to go back to school to become a clinician. So mm. I rely on her. Right. <laughs> so yeah. so I, I, I think teams, the beauty of organizations is when it, when everyone's expertise can be recognized and and valued and honored. And so in that way, Dennis, all of us are leaders. Like, you know, when when I have. Every so often I'll have someone sort of come and I think that this is a misalignment in the culture that we want to build. And they will sort of say something about someone that they think should do something differently. Mm. And I was like, well, have you spoken to them about that? Because I think as a colleague, as a high performer, you know, because we, we make the, the assumption and the expectation that we are all high performers. We all want our company to be successful, to succeed. So as a, you should be able to say to your colleague, I expected you to do this. I'm sorry. Could I, did I miss something? Could I have been, could I have done something different so we can meet this goal? Yep. So I think that the, we all are leaders. And I think that 
at least in the organization I'm trying to build, I see everyone as a leader in their own right. Yep. Very good. Awesome. I love that. And I, I could agree. I, I, I look at everybody as a leader too. It doesn't matter who you are. You are a leader. You're a leader of yourself first, right? You've got to look, look after yourself and then others as well. Now, Kevin, I'm going to get you to get your crystal ball out and start thinking about the future here. And where do you see leadership in five years from now? Well, I, I think that number one, leaders should people who ultimately have like this decision making we have to think about the type of work environments we want to create. I think for better or for worse, the pandemic has forced us to redefine work. And I think that millennials are helping us redefine work. And for some people like me, like I'm a generation X kid and some of the norms and trends that we see unfolding in about how people want to work. They don't seem right to me, but you know, listen, that's what millennials are saying of how they want to show up and how they want to work. And so our ability to attract, retain the best talent really is going to be dependent upon us being sensitive to what people, the type of environments people are saying that they want to work in. And I think that there are some clear markers where people are being very clear about how they want to work. And, and it's not this, um, industrialization model that we base work on today. Like, I think that we're, we're really nearing the end of this industrialization work model. And what do I mean by that? Well, you work from 7.30 to 5, five days a week, you know, and if, if you're really an overachiever, you also work on Saturday mornings and, you, you catch back up on Sunday afternoon, right? Yep. <laughs> I think I think that that way of work is coming to an end. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's fascinating to hear that, and and the way it's working through for sure. Be quite cool for you and I to both have Gen X kid t-shirts, huh? That'd be quite. <laughs> it would. Be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be quite cool. Yeah, so I think I mean the future of the work of the environment. Yeah, the way we work and that. You know, um, go back about three, four years ago. We used to hear about the working from home or oh, uh, workforce type thing, and I was like, really? And uh, is it just a marketing thing? And when I walked around the suburb where I live, uh, I I stopped counting it. Forty eight houses that had businesses within their own houses, right? And I just thought. Oh wow, this is really happening, and uh, it's the 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 the, you know, the workforce or the workplace of the future, or the way we work in the future is going to be really amazing. But it's here, and it's actually the pandemic's actually emphasised it and made it go a lot quicker. A lot of excuses: oh, well, you're not going to work from home, you can't work from home. But now, look, um, yeah, it's really amazing here. Yeah. Hey, Kevin, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? Well, of course, people can learn more about our company by visiting hurdle.health. People can follow me personally um, on Twitter at kdetner, Kevin Detner on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Happy to connect with people offline. Awesome, Kevin. Been a real pleasure talking to you, so thank you. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they're being released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, your network. Maybe, as Kevin said, taking time out to reflect, listen to a podcast, listen to one of the episodes. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show or if there's a question for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. 
Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 